Episode 19 of the Tactical Breakdown Podcast. Today we're taking it international with Senior Constable Brian Ward of the New Zealand Police Force. This episode is about community policing and what it's like to bring a community back after a terrorist incident, and we speak specifically to the Christchurch mosque shootings that took place in New Zealand in March of 2019. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown, a podcast for law enforcement, military, and emergency response professionals, Stand by. where we help you bridge the gap and talk training, tactics, and leadership with the best subject matter experts in the world. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. All right, episode 19 of the Tactical Breakdown. If you are new or a returning listener, thank you for being here. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date to everything and all the new episodes that are going to be dropping coming up for the rest of 2019 and into 2020. Today, I'm excited because we are officially taking this podcast international and talking to our friend Brian Ward out of New Zealand. Brian is not only an expert in community policing, having been an officer for over 23 years, but he's a fellow podcaster and an expert when it comes to social media and law enforcement, which is exactly why I'm excited to announce that he and I are going to get the chance to sit down face-to-face at the Smile I Smile conference taking place in June 2020 in Scottsdale, Arizona. Smile stands for Social Media, the Internet, and Law Enforcement and has been the premier conference for law enforcement agencies across the world for public outreach, crime prevention, and forensics since 2010. You can check them out at smileconference.com or you can check out thebreakdown.ca. There's going to be links to the conference right on our website. Come say hi to myself. Come say hi to Brian. I'm happy to have a conversation with you and maybe we can even get you on the show. The interview you're about to hear went a little bit different than I initially expected and we kind of talked a little bit more about the Christchurch mosque shootings than I initially planned. I'm honored to have Brian join us on the podcast and I'm excited to get this information out to you. Let's get right into the interview. Here we go. Today on the podcast, I have Senior Constable Brian Ward coming at us from Auckland, New Zealand. How's the weather out there, my man? Uh, it's pretty average to be honest, Adam, but it's, it's not bad. It's, uh, it's a bit windy, but, and maybe a little bit overcast, but hey, look, I don't think that'll be quite your uh, forecast for tomorrow. I'm guessing where you are, it'll be a little bit colder than what we've got. Well, let's, let's compare and contrast, shall we? Today it yep. was minus 31 with wind chill. Ooh. Oh, okay. Well, here we have got, we've got about, uh, 23 and overcast, but we're about, we're about at 87% humidity, so it's quite hot, yeah. Oh, yes. Sounds horrible. Yeah, yeah. And having experienced the Canadian winter, i got to be honest, yeah, i got to enjoy this one a little bit more. All right. So for our listeners, uh, Brian and I got connected through our mutual friend, Lori, who is running the Smile and I Smile conferences that are going to be taking place in Scottsdale, Arizona in 2020. So before we kick off, I wanted to get Brian's story on how you got connected with Lori and why you are going to be making the trip down to Scottsdale for the, for the conference. 
Ooh, okay, so first of all, um, before we even kick off with that, um, I just want to pass on the New Zealand Police's condolences to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police for their loss of the uh, officer that they had occur at the weekend as a result of the uh, automobile collision. Um, so my thoughts and prayers to not only his family but also his workmates and his colleagues because it's always a rough time. Um, how we got connected for Smile Conference, um, I uh, correspond with a, a, a well-known uh, I'm going to say a social media celebrity. She's going to hate that when she sees it. Uh, a lady called uh, Constable Laurie McCann from the Toronto Police. And um, I was lucky enough to uh, win a Wolf Fisher Fellowship for the New Zealand Police. I was one of 15 selected by the New Zealand Police. And basically we uh, invited with that fellowship to go overseas. I'm very interested in social media, um, as your, your listeners will probably find later on, find out later on. And uh, Laurie had suggested Laurie McCann that is that I get in touch with Laurie Stevens because Laurie ran this great thing called the smile conference. Um, and then it just all snowballed from there. That's awesome. And I'm excited because aside from our conversation today, you and I are both going to be down there. We're going to be able to sit down, have a beer, have a chat, uh, share stories. Uh, so I'm excited for that when that rolls around. Yeah, it'll be great fun. Um, yeah, the heat, the heat could be interesting, but it'll be great fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Middle of the summer in Scottsdale sounds like. Uh, well, you know what? I'd take anything right now uh, <laughs> compared, to, compared to what we're in. Um, so today's when we when we had talked offline, we discussed community policing because that's your bread and butter, and you've mm-hmm. done something amazing, I think, over the last fifteen years in in developing a special program that targets communities and targets youth and and kind of brings policing into that that realm that that's hard to find where it's it's accepted by the community and you get a ton of engagement so why don't you tell us what it is that you do what you have been doing and how you found that to be effective for your agency okay well i have a um uh, i used to have a kids tv program called brian and bobby it's now sort of pushed out to social media now so we do radio shows and televisions and everything else. And Bobby is like my trainee police dog. He also happens to be a, a puppet, although if you ask him, he'll always say he's a puppy, not a puppet. Um, and basically, we started off going around to some of the smaller schools uh, out of an area where I was a well-known police officer. And we trialed it in some schools there, and we asked the kids for a bit of a reaction on uh, what they thought to us passing on some safety messages. Now, to be honest, in, the, in those days, we didn't have a puppeteer. There weren't any um, studio lights or anything else. It was just me with a a, a dog and a, a fake police jacket that was about three sizes too big for me with my arm around it. And the dog, to be honest, had no more life than lamb – well, less life than lamb chop. Did. I know that all of your listeners will be familiar with lamb chop. It didn't say anything because I'm not a ventriloquist, um, but just basically nodded its head. And after we went to that couple of schools, I sort of said to some of the kids, hey, look, if you think that's been good fun or you think that we're interesting, then we'd love you to drop us a letter or write us a postcard and let us know that you think the police are okay. And we got something like 9,500 letters back after probably only about five or six school visits. So after that, we I went and saw a well-known New Zealand TV personality, a lady called Susie Cato, who suggested that possibly this could be a great idea for a television program. And she had me sit in my study for probably months writing backstories and synopsises for episodes and everything else. So proud to say uh, it's been in existence for 15 years. We've seen 
1.8 million kids throughout New Zealand, uh, which isn't too bad given the fact that the population of New Zealand is only 5 million. And better than that, I'm better than William Shatner because I've had 76 episodes of Brian Bobby, not 75 like the original Star Trek had. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, I, you yeah. could pretty much just retire happy right now, I think. Well, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, they couldn't understand why I was jumping for joy when uh, 76 came around, but I'm a massive Will Shatner fan. So I said, well, look, I've just beaten Will Shatner's run on the uh, the original series of Star Trek. So they were like, okay, we get it. We think it's Will Brian. So. <laughs> That's awesome. It's it's interesting to me and I was I was really excited to speak with you because you have such you're so in touch with your community and because you've traveled all around your country and and you've traveled all around the world and you've learned what works for community policing and you've learned what hasn't worked. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Um and like we said offline before us um you know I went dog mushing up in Yellowknife probably six, seven years ago. And I had the privilege of speaking to a uh, Mountie up there and it was freezing that time as well. Um, And we were just talking about common themes uh, and issues in our communities. And look, we're thousands upon thousands of miles apart, but those issues that we had were almost exactly the same. We, it's interesting. Our listeners may not, quite understand the difference in policing in New Zealand versus in Canada versus uh, the U.S. or any of the other Commonwealth countries around the world. I'm going to give a brief synopsis, and uh, you stop me if I make uh, if I'm incorrect at any point here. Essentially, okay. essentially, my understanding is in New Zealand, your day-to-day patrol officers are unarmed and. Cur- Correct. The only the only sort of arms that we have was we'll have some OC spray and a taser, and that's pretty much it. Right, and that's and, and that it mirrors similar to what they do in Great Britain. Correct. Uh, and so there, the prevalence of firearms in New Zealand is almost non-existent, aside from standard Ooh. hunting firearms. And, yeah, uh, and yeah. It's um, it's certainly not. Um, as prevalent as somewhere like America or Canada. We do have some issues with firearms, but uh, certainly not to the same scale as uh, what you guys do, that's for sure. The reason I wanted to bring that up, because I'd like to dovetail our conversation when we speak of community policing. I want to briefly bring up, I don't want to dwell on it, but I would like to briefly bring up the Christchurch mosque shootings that took place earlier this year. And mm-hmm. maybe just give a brief overview to the person that's listening to this that doesn't maybe know what happened. And then I want to ask you how a community and how an, a police agency that's responsible for the country of New Zealand addresses those issues and concerns with the public after an event like that. So can you maybe give us a, just a, the Coles notes of what happened in Christchurch? Okay, so very briefly, and I'm not certainly not going to mention uh, the uh, alleged offender's name, I wouldn't give him the privilege, but <clears throat> we had a, a gentleman uh, enter a couple of mosques who basically uh, massacred 50 uh, people in those mosques as they were going to prayer meetings. Um, and he was apprehended by police officers who, were, believe it or not, were, I believe were actually returning from firearms training and he was arrested uh, by those two police officers, both of whom have recently received a bravery award from um, His Royal Highness Prince William when he was here in June. So, Can I ask, what 
weapon system was the offender using when he committed this? So it was a it was a semi-automatic assault rifle. Is that correct? Yeah, as far, as far as I know, um, that's correct. Yeah. Okay, so it's interesting, and I'm sure people here here. Like you said, you had two officers that were coming back from firearms training. You know, mm-hmm. you know thank mm-hmm. God. Um, yep. Has the question been asked? What would happen if the responding officers weren't armed? Probably many times, um, and we ask ourselves that sometimes as police officers as well. But I've got to be honest. I think, and, and I'm not uh, suggesting any less of any law enforcement anywhere else in the world, because uh, it's one of the world's toughest jobs, I believe. But uh, I think New Zealanders have got a real, particularly New Zealand police, have got a real good knack of judging and assessing situations uh, a lot better than most just because of the fact that we are routinely armed. Um, I don't know what would have happened if those officers weren't armed, but we always have access to firearms. That's the, that's the difference, I guess, between the, the police, uh, between the different countries as we're talking. So they would have had access to those firearms, um, but but for the grace of God, we'll never know. Um, but they just, they performed routinely and they did the job well. And they were both uh, veterans of the police force, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, so they did an amazing job. And, and I guess in answer to your question, um, if they weren't routinely armed, then who knows? They, maybe they would have had to look for weapons of opportunity. And again, that's something when you are in the situation where you're not routinely armed, then that is something that sometimes we do have to use or we will think outside of the square to get people who have got firearms, who are doing stuff to actually cooperate with us. Yeah, I think that's a whole nother conversation, and that'll have to be addressed uh, probably down the road when uh, that whole situation, once it's played out uh, through the courts. So with that situation that happened, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was the first mass terrorist attack that had taken place in New Zealand. Is that right? Yeah, previously we've had some... um, Shootings before uh, we had a, a a shooting down in a place called Aramawana again down in the South Island, where a number of people lost their lives. Um, but this was the first act of terrorism that we've ever had in New Zealand. Apart from <clears throat> we had uh, the bombing of a Rainbow Warrior ship by two French Secret Service agents. I think it was in the eighties, long before my time. I was only a school kid at the time. Um, but the, yeah, it's the first one that with actual um, mass casualties and mass loss of life. What was the response from the media and from the community in New Zealand when this event took place? I would imagine that it was something similar to what happened in the United States on September 11th in London with the bombings where it was almost everything kind of stood still and people were almost in disbelief. Can you kind of just replay back to that day what what you saw and experienced from the media and from the community? I can, and in a strange twist of fate, it was actually me who, me and another police officer who boarded uh, the planes on 9-11 at Auckland International Airport and actually had to announce to the passengers uh, from planes either coming to or going from uh, New Zealand, sorry, coming back into New Zealand or, or leaving New Zealand and having to turn around and announce to the passengers what had actually happened at the Pentagon and the Twin Towers. And you are exactly right. The looks on people's faces on those planes when we announced to them what had gone on was exactly the same look on people's faces in New Zealand when they had found out what had happened down in Christchurch. Exactly the same. Was there a mass panic that took place or was was the media on the ball and able to say, hey, this is localized, this is a singular incident 
or was there not enough information immediately available that it was kind of a, a free for all? As far as I can recall, and I'm only speaking for myself because I don't actually just returned uh, the day before from Canada. Um, I was getting some messages from some of the people I knew down in Christchurch, but um, it was quite evident that it was a localized um, event because of the fact that nowhere else in New Zealand seemed to be having any uh, incidents of the same type of uh, nature happening. And of course, as we found out more and more uh, what had actually occurred, then that's when the disbelief seemed to really kick in for people because we, as New Zealanders, as uh, Prime Minister said, we it's just not us. It's not the way that we do things in New Zealand. Um, and sadly, um, lives were lost because of it. Walk me through the steps that you took and your your agency and with your unit in, in community policing. Walk me through the steps that took place immediately following that incident and how you guys reached out to the community and, and the steps that you started to, to take um, to t- kind of rebuild that trust that the police are there, that we, that you were capable of protecting and preventing this stuff from happening. Yeah, we're really lucky in New Zealand because most police officers, especially those who do community policing, um, because the country's small compared to what you guys are used to up in North America and America, <clears throat> we actually are quite well connected to our community. So, uh, it wasn't very difficult for us to go around and see our local church leaders or our local school groups and the such like and alleviate any fears that they had and have a look at some of the, maybe some of the escape plans that they had, some of the school lockdown procedures, um, talking to members of the congregation and local community groups and sort of alleviate any fears that they had and basically sort of say, look, as far as we can tell, this is a one-off incident, but look, we're all going to have to remain vigilant for a long, long time here, and um, and days gone by, maybe we might have been a little bit blasé about some of our security, but it was certainly heightened after that. Uh, like I said to you, probably the, the, the real big thing for lots of New Zealanders was that our police officers were, were now armed for a certain period, um, and they were routinely armed. And we, I've got to be honest, as a street officer, I actually thought that we'd get a little bit of backlash from it. But people, members of the public, and this will give you some idea of uh, the sense of community in New Zealand. Members of the public were coming up to us and giving us hugs and saying that they were sorry for what we were having to endure because of um, somebody's act and that type of stuff. And it, it was a, an amazing outpour of uh, what we call Ara Nui, which is like love and support um, uh, from the community. It was It was just an, an incredible time. It really was. I imagine there was no playbook written up for for what happened and for what the response was going to be. Have you since, or have you noticed that there's been something put together now where it's like, okay, there's this type of incident. These are the steps that we're going to take when we start reaching out. Um, These are the social media channels that we're going to use. These are the media outlets that we're going to use and, 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 and things like that. Or is it kind of just play it by ear and see what happens? No, I think it's, um, I wouldn't say it's business as usual because um, we're all a little bit more vigilant than what we used to be, but it's certainly uh, a lot more in touch with our communities. We want our communities to come and see us. We definitely have a a much stronger bond with our Muslim community now um, who I think both us and them were amazed at how well we operated together when we actually stopped and talked to one another. And that's not saying that we didn't before, but now we really do. And that's with a lot of uh, different denominations and um, groups and the such like. So we're really focusing hard still on trying to talk to those community groups so that we know what's going on in those communities. And 
it's great. I mean, when you get police officers who, after that incident, were assigned duty outside a mosque and uh, had to sit there for sort of six, seven hours, some of them even now will still pop in when they're on routine patrol and they'll pop in and see the imam and, and the rest of the the uh, worshippers there at the at the temple and they'll have a chat to them about how things are going and such like. So it's probably brought us, um, as as it always does, it's probably brought us closest to get, closer together. I remember vividly just it, when when all that took place, we got a lot of news coverage in Canada uh, from mm-hmm. that. And I remember watching the news and seeing just the outpouring of support from the community. Like you said, you had you had police officers that were, you know, assigned and staged outside of mosques, but you also saw people like just members of the public, other other religions, other congregations people that were showing up to support the, the Muslim community after an event like that. What, what was that like for you to see everybody come together like that? I've got to be honest, um, where I am now, I used to police in another area that was very multicultural. We used to have a, uh, one of the local schools, they did a um, where in the world is your whanau, which is like your family group or your culture from. And um, to give you some idea, in a school of 1,300 kids, I think we had uh, close to 127 different ethnic groups at that school. Um, so it wasn't uncommon for me to be walking on beat patrol down that street and you'd walk past a Zen priest one moment, you'd walk past uh, a Polynesian Presbyterian minister, and then you'd walk past an Amman. So it, not, it really didn't surprise me. Um, but what did surprise me was it just that how well everybody started talking to one another and um, just basically the fact that they were looking out and looking after one another and going, this isn't us, this is not what New Zealand's about, and we'd like everybody that comes to New Zealand to feel safe and be safe. And that, that, that I think, was the big thing. Was this? It wasn't about uh, religion, it wasn't about creed or ethnicity or nationality, it was just the fact, look, you're in New Zealand and we want you to feel safe, so everybody should just feel safe. That's awesome. Uh, it was just, yeah. it was, it was amazing to see, I mean, 50,000 foot view from where we were. Uh, but, to, but to see that was, it was inspiring and it, it makes us kind of hope for our, our country and our communities that we would have the same type of response. If, if like heaven forbid, something like that were to ever happen um, in Canada or for our listeners in the U S you know, when those events do occur, that and they're seeing the same thing as these this outpouring of support from their communities and it usually takes the worst kind of incident to bring people together yeah and lots of times that's actually getting people uh, once that incident's happened um, and that's with anything and this is my experience from community policing as well it could be something as simple as a wayward youth uh, all the way to what you guys would classify as a homicide or a massacre, but you'll get parties sitting around at a table that previously maybe wouldn't sit around a table, and then they actually start talking to one another, and they realise that in actual fact, they're not that much different from one another, and that, that's not a bad thing. Let's get into community policing. I'm excited to, yeah. to talk with you and pick your brain about how you do that in New Zealand and what the differences are, because you've, you've been around uh, the world. You've seen the different ways that agencies use outreach and and work with youth and work with communities what do you do in new zealand that's different that you find that is working i want i don't want to say better but you're finding results in your local community what are the steps and things that you guys are taking 
I, I got to say, we're a lot more sort of uh, relaxed than I think some of the departments I've seen and um, looked at um, when I was doing the National Police Team training. We tend to be very much sort of, like, and you've alluded to it before, that sort of British style of um, we'll knock on your door and say, hi, how are you? Look, I'm the local police officer. What have you got going on here? And you go from there. Um, we're very lucky in the fact that we are a very, very multicultural society. In fact, I think New Zealand's one of the top three most multicultural societies. Um, as we've spoken about before, it's not uncommon to see a whole raft of different ethnic groups or religious groups or something all together as well. And I think our level of understanding because of that is maybe a little bit better than some other countries um, without sort of blowing smoke, you know where. Um, yeah, so we we work quite hard on uh, talking to kids, uh, talking to youth. Um, we're very big on talking to uh, and trying to work out the issues with our Indigenous peoples, um, who you guys will know as Māori, um, uh, and as well as also our Pacific Island partners. We have uh, Asian, uh, a strong Asian community here now, which when I was a child, there were, I've got to be honest, um, there were, probably wasn't that many Asian people in New Zealand. We're talking in the mid-80s now, and we've actually had a bit of a uh, influx of Asian people. So we're having to uh, get Asian police officers to talk to those Asian communities directly. We have a large contingent, a large Indian community as well. So we've got lots of different uh, ethnic groups. But the thing that seems to work well is if we go in and talk to them uh, at their community groups and that type of stuff. And for lots of those people, you've got to be aware, like, uh, to, and I remember from my time as a community officer in South Auckland, for instance, uh, if you have a, somebody, for instance, from Vietnam, the police in Vietnam are viewed not as well as perhaps other police departments around the world, shall I say, being tactful about it. Um, so for that, for us to go in and talk to them and really break down the barriers and be there for part of their celebrations and the such like is a really, really big thing um, for that community. And that's, I guess, that's the big thing that I think the New Zealand Police do better than anybody else. We try and break down those barriers constantly by going to those things that sometimes perhaps uh, other police departments wouldn't go to. I'll give you a great example, and I'll, I'll even send you a picture as well. Uh, the Hare Krishna uh, Temple, which is in my local community, has a festival called Holly Festival. You might have seen it. It's where they throw coloured cornflower up in the air and everything else. Yes. Have you seen that before? Yes. Well, I've seen examples. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've seen that one necessarily, but I definitely know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So myself and about four or five other police officers were assigned to that festival. Uh, I'm still picking out bits of flour and corn dust, and we're talking <laughs> multicolored bits. Uh, and it's almost been a year now since I went to that festival. We were covered in it from head to toe. Our vehicles were covered in it from head to toe. But we were in the crowd. We were dancing with people in the crowd. We were up on the stage. We were talking to people on the stage, saying hi to the kids and that type of stuff. And I think that's probably the thing like I said before, maybe that we do a little bit better than most is uh, we we are actually part of a community. We like to get in and say hi to our community. That's, yeah, the big thing, I guess. Well, if the listeners listening to this right now are like me, um, they'll agree that if it's been almost a year and you're still picking stuff out of your hair, you need to up your personal hygiene game a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Got to right. evaluate that yeah, a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. So getting involved and, and staying involved with the community is important. Are there other ways that you're reaching out? I know you're a big proponent of social media. 
what are what are you doing right now in the social media realm that's really helping drive the awareness um, of what you're trying to do? So again, for us, it's that big thing of um, <clears throat> establishing trust and confidence with our communities, but also showing showing them. And I think um, one of the police officers up in Toronto, and I've forgotten his name, and my apologies to you, brother. I can't remember your name at the moment. Is it, is it uh, Randall? Not Randall. Randall's amazing, though. Yeah, Randall's amazing. Um, uh, but there's another officer there who does a thing called humanizing the badge. Randall's very good at um, doing this type of stuff as well. We want people to realize that we like having fun just as much as everybody. So I don't know if you saw the dancing cop challenge a few years back where uh, basically the New Zealand police issued a challenge. They had a police officer dancing, an old uh, chap that I used to work with in South Auckland. And that went viral all around the world. And the next thing you know, we had the New York Police Department dancing. And I think even some Canadian police uh, departments were involved in it as well. And it was just that thing of breaking down the barriers, showing people that we're ordinary too. We like to have our fanboy and our fangirl moments. And, uh, yeah, it, it just helps the fact that people realise that we're human. We've got a job to do. But, look, at the end of the day, it's only a uniform. It's not a Superman suit. Um, and we care as much about our community as, as they do theirs. So, and very often they're one and the same. They just don't some, sometimes recognise us when we're out of uniform. Humanising the police officer is, is that that's the difficult part, right? It's, it's taking, it's taking that mindset of, you know, there, I had a, I had a really interesting discussion yesterday with another person I interviewed and we talked about, it was more about use of force, but we talked about describing use of force incidents, how, you know, the public's perception is that these officers are supposed to be just robots, right? Like it's, yeah. they're, they're supposed to be like, okay, well, I show up to the incident and I'm supposed to do everything by the book, policy, procedure, bylaw, and I do not step a foot outside of the line and I'm going to do everything correctly every single time. And it's trying to bring that human element back into policing and into public's perception of what police officers are actually there to do, that they're actually human beings. They're not, they're not robots, right? And yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, you are right. And look, let's be honest, and I know because I've listened to some of your podcasts and some of your guests, some of those guests that you've had on there are great at what they do because they're constantly challenging themselves and thinking outside the square as opposed to just following the rule book. Um, so, yeah, for us, I think, in New Zealand, we have something called a number eight wire mentality, uh, which is like a grade of fencing wire. So basically it means that if you give us a piece of sellotape and a couple of matchsticks, we do what Mr. T used to do with the A-team and we'll build you a tank and say, look, we could probably use this. Or we we don't ever say, no, we can't do that. We'll look at it and go, how can we make this work, even though the fact maybe we don't have a budget or we don't have huge amounts of assets, but let's see if we can do this together as a collaborative effort. And I, th- I think you're right. I think that's what a lot of people realize is, that don't realise is that they expect police officers to be robots and, and in actual fact we're human we make errors we make mistakes um, but by owning up to them and actually sort of saying to our community look we've done this and perhaps we could do this better then that's a good thing uh, that's when you really know you've got the trust and confidence of the community I guess if I told you that you had one way like I'm going to give you one option as far as reaching out to people in your community whether it be face to face or social media, like pick a social media platform or anything like that. What would the what what's the one thing that you think would be you would use the most or you think is most beneficial? I gotta be honest, for me personally, uh, it'd have to be schools. 
for the simple reason that everybody cares about their kids. You can be a gang member, a police officer, the president of the United States. Everybody is concerned about their kids' welfare. And if you go and talk to a school that's got a 1,000 kids in it, for instance, and that's a fairly big school here in New Zealand, you're probably talking to maybe another 750 people on top of that. Social media is great, uh, but <clears throat> not everybody in New Zealand uses social media. And to give you some idea, I know that you guys are really big on Twitter in America and North America, for instance. Um, Twitter doesn't get used that, uh, an awful lot in New Zealand. Um, Instagram would probably be the biggest, followed by Facebook, but Facebook seems to be slowly dying off. But for me, it's going into those schools, talking to those kids, and uh, if we can get those kids and their parents on board, then we've made a good start, and that normally pushes out to other groups as well. So, yeah. You have experience speaking with, like you said, over 1.8 million kids yeah. in schools, yeah. which is an amazing uh, accomplishment on its own. When you go in and speak to the kids, and I'm assuming you get everybody from uh, grade school to, to secondary and, and everything in between. When you go in, what is, what's the message that you're, you're sending them? Is there any one specific thing that you're trying to get across or do you kind of have a playbook? What, what is your goal when you go in and speak? I've got to be honest, well, after 76 episodes, uh, our lines tend to get a little bit blurred. We sort of dabble in and out of different shows and everything else. But if a school says to us, hey, look, can we have a specific show on this? We'll do our best to cater for them. Our big thing here is, um, I guess, when we did the, the tour, was we're very big on road safety. We have far too many road deaths in New Zealand. Um, and for, for, for silly stuff, people not wearing seatbelts, um, which... Uh, I know in, in certain states of America is not legal. And in Canada, is, it is the law. You've got to wear your seatbelt all the time. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, so same in New Zealand, but um, we have a lot of unrestrained deaths. So our big thing is, look, if we can talk to the kids about wearing seatbelts, being safe and everything else, then that's a, a great start for us because we know we're going to make an immediate impact on saving lives. And from there, we've done everything from sort of self-esteem issues to bullying issues um, right the way to sort of <clears throat> if you see a crime, how to be an effective witness. And we're talking for when we are talking to kids here, uh, I primarily the sort of target audience of Brian and Bobby was meant to be five and ten. Uh, it actually, when in reality, I think it was probably closer to three to, and I had university students coming up to me uh, when it was in its sort of prime saying, oh, I'm missing my afternoon lectures so I can see uh, your show, Constable Brian, when I get back home. I love the way the dog always tells bored jokes about you, which I find hilarious because what most people don't realize it was actually me writing the dog's joke. So, hello. <laughs> and what's, what's funny, Ed, like people are listening to you right now and they're picturing a 20 something surfer with amazing abs, um, yeah, yeah. flowing blonde locks. Um, and, uh, and now they're, you're crushing their hopes and dreams saying that you're, you're lacking in the uh, in the hair department. So. Yeah, follically challenged. Is the I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to come back from that to, to help yeah, our no, listeners. Okay. Here, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just keep the dream alive, right? That's all I'm saying. That, that's right. We're, yeah. All the photos, yeah. like 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 I said, we're gonna yeah. we'll Photoshop all the photos. It'll be yeah, that'll be good. Yeah, that'll be all good. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. And then obviously, um, because of the kids' TV show, um, I've been lucky enough to be supported by uh, a lot of our. Uh, uh, management and when I approached them about doing New Zealand's first policing podcast, uh, they were behind it 100%. And some of the people that I've met 
through there, it's been just amazing. And that, that's obviously uh, a nice little spin-off from the, the, the kids' TV show and the, the appearances that we put in as well. So that's a good thing. Brian, you must have read my mind because the next okay. thing that I wanted to ask you about was because community policing and you know getting on these social media platforms, whether it be LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, uh, podcasts, whatever it is, it's becoming more prevalent and you're seeing a lot more agencies jump into it. If somebody's listening to this and they're an officer in their agency and they're like, we're not doing that yet. I'd like to spearhead this. What advice would you give to them on how to approach their leadership to start creating these types of programs? Uh, I would suggest have some good examples. Look, the reason I the reason I did started doing podcasting was because, uh, and he'd be a great guest for your show as well if you can get him. A gentleman called Mike Ritland does a, a podcast called the Mike Drop Podcast. He's an ex Navy SEAL, um, <clears throat> and basically, I think Mike, when he started off, I sort of had the odd conversation with him, but not long ones on social media. He just started interviewing buddies and people that he knew, and I thought, you know what, that's a good thing. Uh, and because of the background I've got in community policing, I think I meet some fairly diverse people. And when I meet, uh, as we have a bit of a phrase here in New Zealand that, uh, where they sort of say, well, you're an extraordinary New Zealander. Whenever I sort of meet an extraordinary New Zealander or an extraordinary person, somebody uh, a little bit maybe different from most people uh, that most people would meet in their day, I go, hey, you know what, that would be a great podcast. So my advice would be have some have some good examples of stuff that's worked for other departments. Um, maybe try it sometimes before you've actually uh, said to your department, hey, look, let's have a look at this. Try and uh, work on a mock one, for instance. So have a mock podcast with somebody and see if it actually works. And then say to your administration or your your uh, leadership here team, hey, look, why don't we try this? Um, I guess the big thing for me was I didn't want to make my podcast all about police officers because – but let's be honest, that's like me being an accountant and then going home and watching shows on accountants and then listening to podcasts about accountants. And, and I know I don't know about yeah, I don't know about you, Adam, but I I watch one or two police shows on TV, but after that it's sort of white noise after that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I so that was that was my big thing was to make it more about uh, the people that you're serving rather than just sort of the people you work with, so to speak. I know, and I know some amazing people, don't get me wrong, uh, that I work with, and they are incredible human beings. But I also like to acknowledge the incredible human beings that are out there that I'm working sort of shoulder to shoulder with as well, I guess. If somebody wants to use what you've been doing as an example, where can they find uh, the Brian and Bobby uh, information? Mm-hmm. Do you have a website? Do you have places yep. they can reach out to you? Yeah, so uh, the website is www.brianandbobby. It's all one word, and it's B-R-Y-A-N-A-N-D-B-O-B-B-Y.co.nz. Uh, so you can reach out to me there via the website. The name of the podcast, uh, thanks to a lovely barista who used to write it on top of my coffee cup every time I ordered a cup of coffee, was uh, The Cappuccino. It's The Cappuccino Podcast, <clears throat> and that's available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, but otherwise, if you want to, and I'll give you, you've got my email details. If you check, uh, this podcast website, the, my email details are there, I'm more than happy to help anybody out who wants a hand. Yeah. Everything's going to be available. All the, uh, all the links there. If you weren't able to understand his thick Kiwi accent, 
All of the links will be available on the show notes page at thebreakdown.ca forward slash zero one nine. And I'm excited that you kind of brought up, um, it's funny that you said you kind of get sick of watching shows about what you do day to day. Yeah. The next episode of this podcast coming up right after this one, right before Christmas, I actually got to, uh, got the chance to sit down and interview a uh, director, uh, Christian Gudegast, who directed a movie called Den of Thieves uh, with Gerard Butler. Nice. And yeah, yeah, you know well, yeah. Yeah, and that episode is all about the difficulty in making a a movie in Hollywood that is both entertaining and will sell to the general public, but also doesn't piss off all the police officers and military <laughs> members that are like, what the hell yeah, is going yeah. on, right? So yeah, it's a yeah. super interesting episode, shameless plug for my own podcast. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, like, I'm not going to be honest, and it always amazes me. As veterans and uh, first responders, we always complain about weapon handling and self-defense and everything else. But let's be honest, we all love, and I love them to bits because he does jujitsu as well, uh, we all love the John Wick series of movies, and they're about as comic booky as they come, just quietly. So, fun fact for you and everybody listening, and uh, shout out to our friends at the Chive because um, I've been a supporter of their app for a long time. They just let us know that I guess next in 2021 they're releasing both the Matrix Four and John Wick Four on the same day. You ready for this? Just to prove to you how far we are in the future. May 21, 2021. Oh, oh, there you go. <laughs> see, you were way ahead of me. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that actually means if I'm really smart about it, I can go and see both those movies and then I'll send you a text message and say, look, here's the entire plot for the movies and ruin them for you. All right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't do that to you. I, I can't now, you, now I can't even open up my email or anything for the next yeah. <laughs> for that yeah. When that day rolls around, I can't open it up for 24 hours. Um, it's interesting because, uh, from my understanding, I think the theory is, is they're going to try to roll out the double feature back in the movie theaters, which I mean, was a huge thing in the eighties. And then obviously with the resurgence or with Netflix coming out and, and things like live streaming and obviously the movie theaters taking a hit. And I guess this is maybe their chance at trying to bring that back with two extremely popular series, but to tie that back in for everybody, when we talk about community policing, I kind of see that in the same light. It's that we're going to, we have to start thinking outside the box and maybe kind of going back to those, those things that we used to do to build these community relationships. Um, And, but then also using new technologies and, and new things to start reaching out to our communities. So, yeah. And it's something, it's something that I, when I get the chance to talk to a room full of prospective recruits or I get the chance to talk to, uh, a room full of sort of season, I'm going to say season first responders and everything else. And then, uh, in comes the community officer and then me and they sort of look at me and they're a bit sort of, oh, really hang on. Yeah. This guy sort of, you know, he's got flat feet. He talks to the kids now and he does stuff in the community and I'll turn up with a odd first responder type job if it's in my community and I'm nearby. But I think a lot of people seem to forget that. Uh, and this is the, I guess the strength of New Zealand police again is, uh, all of our community officers were once frontline police officers. We can do frontline policing. Um, and like I always say to those prospective recruits, if you look at me and you think that I'm nothing to be reckoned with, and they're like, yeah, I said, well, then you need to go back and watch the movie Die Hard because without uh, Al Powell there, John McClane wouldn't have made it out of Nakatomi Tower. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, then I kind of got this. Yeah, so, yeah, it's it's kind of one of those things, I guess it's, 
we have to be able to um, meet both the response and the community police, I guess, and work together. Um, and luckily, I, I work for a, a, what you guys would call a department, but I work for a police force that doesn't do that. It, it, it links the two quite nicely together, I believe. I love the message, and I love the analogy and tying in Die Hard right before Christmas. I uh, like it's a, it's the I, ultimate Christmas movie. I, I don't care what anybody says. I'm pretty sure that's the most perfect bow I'm ever going to get um, on the end of an episode. So I'm going to leave it at that. Brian, thank you again so much for joining me, my man. And I cannot man. wait to see you at the Smile Conference uh, in 2020. Yeah, it'll be great fun. And I tell you what, bring your video camera because I'm going to have that entire conference up and singing one of my kids' safety songs. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm, I'm there. I'm in. All right. Go done. Right on, man. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. All right, take care. Thank you again for joining us on the Tactical Breakdown. It has been an honor to speak with Brian. If you want to learn more about Brian or the Brian and Bobby show, you can check out the link to their page at thebreakdown.ca forward slash 019. All the links to his podcast to his show and to what he's doing to get in touch with him is all going to be on the show notes page. I'm excited about our next episode coming up right before Christmas 2019. It is a special episode. I sit down with director Christian Gudegast, who directed Den of Thieves, starring Gerard Butler. We talk about what it's like to build out a film in Hollywood that doesn't piss off police officers and military members, stays true to the tactics, stays true to what actually happens on the job and foregoes all of the unlimited mags and explosive grenades that we've seen far too many times in the movies. So join us for the next episode coming up right before Christmas. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player, and we'll see you next time on the Tactical Breakdown. Stay safe.